today on Podcast by the Bay. Highlights of the recent Foster City City Council meeting from January 16th, featuring feedback with Mayor Sam Hindi. Are we prepared to handle the challenges that will, that will come? So, like I said, as a resident, as a business, I would love to save my money like everybody else. So their point is valid. I'm not dismissing the point. The question is, is it the best thing for the city in the long run? Also, feedback from the recent Planning Commission meeting discussing the Saris Regis project. Um, I'd recommend that these architects spend several days uh, from March through July for an hour or so at 4.30 in a proposed park here to see how much it might modify their open space design. And finally, protest at the San Mateo Foster City School Board meeting discussing the closure of the Foster City Preschool and the Charter Square project. Me on behalf of the teacher, we feel that um, they mistreated us. Um, they, um, they think that our children doesn't matter, but our children matter to us. And not only that, we were, um, the promise that they gave us, they broke their promise. We were misled. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com slash podcast by the bay and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. Liberty Realty. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another exciting show here at Podcast by the Bay. Today is January 20th. We are excited today. Patrick and I are extremely excited. There has been a multiple meetings and things happening here in the Foster City San Mateo area over the last week and a half, starting with the city council meeting. Uh, the, city, the planning meeting for the Saris Regic and the school board meeting a week and a half ago. So we are going to talk about all three of those issues today. And how are you doing today anyways, Patrick? Great. I'm just recovering from that uh, flu that's going around. But great. It's exciting to be in January 2018. And it's exciting to be on the beat with Podcast by the Bay. That is right. And so being on the beat, Patrick has had the opportunity to go to actually all these events so patrick you were at the city council meeting you were there on tuesday or yeah tuesday night you were there on tuesday night you were there you got to see the dynamics the conversations the debate so can you give us a summary breakdown of the of the meeting i heard there was all kinds of things happening what, what was your summary what is your breakdown of the meeting well i think it was one of the most exciting uh, city council meetings that i've seen in a while um, I would say from the public's perspective, we had somewhat of a, over maybe 100 people there. Um, we also had, because, you know, this was the controversial levy issue, they were going to be talking about it or the council was going to be discussing uh, a proposal that was going to be coming up from uh, Vice Mayor um, Gary Pollard and Catherine Manipur um, with trying to reduce the $90 million bond um, by either 20 or $10 million. Um, most of the speakers were quite vocal um, about the issue. I even had opportunity to have a closing argument. We'll talk about that a little bit later, um, what my opinion was there. But the dynamics was there. Uh, the council was quite vocal. Uh, your former mayor, Charlie Berninsky, was very vocal on not spending any more money on the levy uh, that we needed for a rainy day. Uh, and he said on his watch, no way will we do it. Um, I did have an opportunity to interview him later. Um, also, you, you had, uh, you had uh, Gary. Gary made a, uh, after discussion on the levy, levy, Gary made a proposal to reduce the bond by $10 million. And uh, 
Catherine second that, and then the, all chaos broke loose um, because basically it appeared the council did not know how to follow Robert's rules of order. Uh, Gary had made a proposal. It kind of was seconded. There was kind of discussion. Uh, then, then another former mayor and council person, Mr. Perez, interjected in a nice sarcastic way. Why don't we make it a hundred million dollars and then we won't fix our toilets or we won't fix anything in City Hall. So you saw the dynamics of, of Charlie and uh, uh, Mr. Perez holding tight to the purse strings. And then you had the dynamics of our mayor, uh, Sam Hindi, that was being uh, understanding of the voters, but also being fiscally tight on that bond, uh, on that bond money and not wanting to give anything either. Um, still, uh, there was not really clarity on it, for except that the majority of the council did not want to reduce the cost of the bond. My major question, which also came up on the levy was also how much surplus money do we really have? And as of yet, the council or the city manager hasn't answered that. So we really don't know how much money that may be. Um, um, I want to interject a little bit of Catherine's uh, uh, comments. Catherine Manapur mentioned that she thought that we could make up that $10 million reduction very quickly. But let's talk a little bit about something that hasn't been talked. Remember, it is a $90 million bond. But let's be realistic that that $90 million probably will turn into $100 or $120 million. So I'm not sure that we will have that complete picture because some of the audience, and of course the council were debating the audience, where do you get your, where do you get your information? I won't mention which council people were saying that. You can watch the TV. And those council people were saying, well, do you get it from a poll on next door? Or are you getting it from the internet? Because as of yet, we do not have an actual report on what is the cost of the levy. And the only other comment I have is, and I'm still fighting for the people of Foster City, I want to see that we have a safety exit on the levy. As of yet, there's still no proposal of an exit. And my comment is, if we're locked out on 3rd Avenue or Hillsdale or 101, the bay may be an exit. So I think we need to not only build on that levy, but also protect the citizens if we need to evacuate through the bay. Well... That's actually a great point. Great point, uh, Patrick. And I think that's a that's something, a question a, a lot of actually residents uh, actually do have that concern. Um, so actually, folks, if you haven't seen the council meeting and you want to see it, go to their website, fostercity.org uh, web, website, and you can actually see it. We actually put the links on our Facebook page too, uh, facebook.com slash podcast by the bay. And you can actually see the, the direct links to the Foster City page where you can get the video and you can actually see the entire council meeting at its entirety. So I think that's a great point. Um, we actually do um, have some great clips uh, from some of the representatives, from some of the councilmen. We have Sam, uh, Mayor Sam Kindy. We have uh, Charlie Berninski. We also have some members of the public. And we also have featuring Patrick, who actually spoke, not just on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, but on behalf of being a citizen, being a somebody, a representative of the community who feels strongly about the issue. So he actually spoke at the meeting, and we're going to play that clip too. So why don't we do that, Patrick? Um, was there anything else about the meeting you want to discuss, or should, why don't we get into it, right? Right. I, I just think it was an exciting meeting, and um, and I, I, I think democracy kind of worked. Um, whether there was a little bit of chaos, I think the council needs to kind of work through that Robert's Rules of Order and uh, maybe uh, learn something there um, so that we can see a much more smoother presentation for the public. And there you have it. So we're going to go ahead and play some of those clips right now, and then we're going to come back after that. We're going to talk about the planning meeting uh, for the Saras Regis Project. All right, stay tuned. Good to see everybody. Uh, ha Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, first of all, my name is Patrick Sullivan. Um, I want to thank, first of all, Vice Mayor Gary Pollard for taking his time to talk to me about the levy. It's on the podcast. Also spent some time with Kevin Miller and Jeff. 
Um, we also came up with some really important questions. I, I greatly appreciate Catherine Monopore's suggestion to reduce the levy by $20 million. Uh, as of yet, I'm still waiting. I talked to Kevin when we spent some time a couple of weeks ago. I think for the public, we need to know what is the surplus amount of money that we have. Uh, because there's been some really fiscally responsible uh, people in Foster City. I was told that we have some $117 million in surplus money. So maybe somebody can clarify that for the public and clarify what that exactly is. And I think the public do have a right to, to come out here and speak about lowering the cost of levy. You guys have done a fiscally conservative job. So I would hope that you would address uh, Catherine's uh, response, and I know I did speak extensively with Gary, and I thank the 500 people that have done the downloads on the uh, Gary Ears is the most popular one. Thanks, Gary. All right, there you have it. Not only is Patrick a host of podcasts by the Bay, but he's a resident, and there he is speaking directly to the city council. Next, we're going to have Patrick speaking with Mayor of Foster City, Sam Hindi. Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor. Patrick, how are you? Good. we got to get a comment. You had a real tough meeting here. Can you talk a little bit about what, you, what went on? Well, actually, it was a productive meeting. I mean, this is what it is about. It is about having different opinions, different point of views, and then discussing the pros and the cons. And to me, what was encouraging tonight is having the community being present, even though I, I really, quite frankly, I did not disagree with what they want to do. But like I explained in my comment, my fiduciary responsibility and my responsibility as an elected official to look at the whole city and all the, all the possibilities that, and all the challenges that will come before us and how do we handle them? Are we prepared to handle the challenges that will, that will come? So, like I said, as a resident, as a business, I would love to save my money like everybody else. So their point is valid. I'm not dismissing the point. The question is, is it the best thing for the city in the long run. Well, I think you really came across real clear about that. Yeah, I think the only question is still outstanding in the audience, and we still haven't got that quite. How much is the reserve? Is it 117 million? <laughs> is it 120 million? I think the people need to know at least now what that reserve is, and I think everybody brought up some good questions. Thanks to Mayor Sam Hindi for that segment. Also, Patrick's going to speak here with Charlie Brininski, City Councilman Charlie Brininski. Here it is. Charlie, do you have any comment for former mayor of Foster City? Charlie, any comment about the meeting tonight? You did a great job in our presentation. And podcast of the Bay wants to congratulate you doing that, uh, trying to save the city money again. Any comment about the uh, audience out there and the, the residents? Uh, I always appreciate that the residents come here to speak. My concern really has been the continued misinformation that they get on social media. And I hope people will spend more time looking at our website and the information we have here, coming down and asking questions if they don't know things, than relying on social media, because social media tends to distort I, reality. I agree completely with you, Charlie, and I wish we could have an opportunity to podcast by the Bay to interview you. If you've been on our line, you've had an opportunity to listen to the one on with Gary Pollard on the school and the levy, you would find out the podcast by the Bay does report the news. So would you be honored sometime to I would be, be I would be honored. Okay, we'll let me know. Forward. Send me an email. We'll send you an email. Thank you. Thanks to City Councilman Charlie Brunitsky for his feedback. And next, Patrick speaks with City Councilman Gary Pollard. Gary did a good job, Gary. We talked about it. Yeah, I see that uh, $20 million went down to $10 million. You could, I, I appreciate you fighting for the voters. How do you think it went today, Gary? I think you saw government working at its finest, having discussions, listening to the residents, making decisions for the long term. Well, I think you're right, Gary, and I think by the audience participation in this, I think the word is out that they want their, they appreciate the uh, fiscal conservativeness. They just want to know how much money do we have in and I don't think that that was real clear tonight. I know Kevin's still working on it. Is that something you can get back to, to me, Gary, and tell us how much we do have in reserve? I think when we come to our budget session in the next few months, it will become clearer. And I think the residents will get a better picture. And I'd even like, and I've suggested it to the city manager, to have a public forum on city government finance 101, where people can sit and look at the budget at a high level and understand all the funds, money, money goes to, uh, the enterprise funds, how we purchase cars, 
everything that gives a clear understanding of how prudent we are with the taxpayer money. Well, Gary, I know that that's the case. I know that 33 and a third that you guys are saving, and uh, I hope we hear your voice and Catherine's voice out there, and we greatly appreciate it. I know the public do, and uh, we look forward to getting you on podcast by the big end. Thanks. Thank you. Also, Patrick spoke with Bob Cushman. Bob, you want to say anything? You're here on Podcast by the Bay again. We're not live here, but I wanted to hear your comments on what you think went or didn't go right in the council's meeting so far tonight. Well, I was proud of uh, Gary Pollard and uh, Captain Mahampour for at least trying to compromise and uh, use some of our excess city funds for uh, paying down the levy. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about the size of our reserves. Well, you know, I brought that up. I said there was, I think, $117 million, and I still haven't got an answer from Kevin on that either. Do you have any idea what you think the reserves are? Well, I know is that there's money squirreled away in all kinds of places. The excess reserves is at least $20 million of it. The reserves themselves is, is, uh, is, is a totally different lot. And, and that should be sufficient. And I think Catherine brought up a real good point that we can make up that $10 million in, a, in a very short period of time. So I think that it, it would have been nice to see them to give some kind of something back to the people. Is that what you're feeling? Yeah, I agree. Finally, Patrick was able to speak with some residents who were actually at the city council meeting and really get their feedback. Here, So we're going to play some clips, and here it is. Do you have any comments on the uh, council's... Uh, um, presentation today as far as reducing the cost of the levy, do you think that they should consider that? I think it's very confusing and one of the things that they didn't end up clarifying is what is the amount of the reserve, which isn't clear, and two, what are they going to do with it? How long have you lived in Foster City? I've lived in Foster City for 35 years. Okay, great. How about your comment? Uh, well, I too am not totally clear on just how much the reserve is. Um, I tend to agree with uh, Mr. Kaminsky about the reserve and the importance of having a reserve if we have an emergency. Right. As you can tell with podcast by the Bay, we did interview Kevin Miller and Jeff Malay, and we do not know how much reserve we have. There is approximately $117 million. The city is very fiscally conservative. Mm -hmm. And part of the council's comment tonight that 33 and a third that they saved in reserve, they've been doing that for years. So mm -hmm. we're very lucky to have that, yeah. but I wish there was some more transparency so that the voters would actually know how much we have in reserve. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's very unclear. And the other thing that was unclear is why there was a discussion of the first items that were capital improvement, which actually are items that apparently are to be covered by the reserve also, like the bridge repair and so forth. Well, I think that they was not yeah. clearer than when they right. started out like that. So I find this very confusing. I think there should be. Yeah, more they, they, they did put a few subjects together, even the yeah. wastewater mm -hmm. situation, as you know, is being picked up by the cost of right. the increase in the water. Exactly. It's not coming out of our reserve. Exactly. So, so you're right. And they also brought up the issue with the school, and I think the school issue was not an issue that we would be talking about tonight. Exactly. So. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Uh, now we're going to talk about the planning meeting uh, for the Saris Regis project that just happened this Thursday on the um, 18th, I believe, January 18th. And Patrick had a, a, he was actually there at the meeting to actually represent us. So just in your initial assessment about the meeting, about the overall situation, I guess, what is your initial assessment? Well, you know, it was quite a cold and rainy night, um, to, to say the least. And this was what, what they call a study session for the Planning Commission. So just to get a warm, fuzzy feeling, even though I think the public should understand that the city council, I uh, have been in discussion with the Saris Regis and supposedly in discussion with some of the business owners. As you know, the Saris Regis project is they want to change it from the uh, master plan. They want to change it from the retail commercial to housing. Um, so this was the initial meeting to see what the planning commission felt. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't well attended. Uh, it was a rainy night. There wasn't going to be really any major decision made. The developer was there, uh, and a developer was there with a business partner and appeared his daughter and and to present, and his architects were there and everything else. 
I want to get uh, get the audience a little feel for what happened. I was able to prior to the prior to the actual planning commission, which started at seven, to try to get a few interviews um, and interviews with some of the architects, the owner. Uh, and the developer, and basically they were not really in a mood to communicate more than we're here to present our project, which is understandable. I mean, they're, they're, they're not sure who podcast by the Bay is reporting the news. And Andre and I know that everybody's learning about us. So it was all good. Um, I, I, um, had some some people that were just there. Uh, the few people that were there from the public were not sure about the workforce housing. Okay, and that was that was the only major thing. I think as momentum builds up, hopefully we're going to have a lot more participation in this process. Because as you know, there's been a, 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 a been a group of citizens that don't want any more housing, primarily because of the traffic problems and because of the issues. So there was a little bit of debate. Um, Andre, do you want me to go into next talking about what the planning commissioners kind of felt or I kind of got feeling about? Well, I do want to interject for one minute because I have something... I have a very strong feeling about this. And I kind of, I understand where people's perspective is about the traffic and just the ability, the overcrowding of schools and things like that. And, and I think it, people really point to the housing issue. And I think that a lot of these decisions for the current housing situation were made years ago, right? So they were made seven, 10 years ago with those planning commissions, those councils and things. So I think we're, we're looking at the fruits of what, you know, the fruition of what had happened previously, and we're actually dealing with it now. So I think I can understand where people are really fired up. My issue is this. I'm concerned that there is lack of vision in the way that these planning, these, the, the architects, the way these things are designed. And I'm going to tell you, this is, my, this, is my, this is my assessment, and this is just coming from my personal experience. Most people who are living in Foster City that are renters are people that work in the Bay Area. And most of the people who are in Foster City are there for a reason. Because they want to live in a safe community for their family, right? And there's, there's an abundance of kids. And I think anybody who lives in Foster City in the San Mateo area know that um, that area is really for families. And there's a lot of kids. And, and so it's really set up for that. Now, the issue with... Most of the housing in the apartments in Foster City is they are not set up for families. They are one to two bedroom, 900 square foot apartments, 900 square foot townhouses. It is hard to find a three bedroom, uh, you know, apartment or, or or townhouse. So if you have two kids, you're squeezing your kids into this, you know, into one room and then you're staying in the other. And eventually, most families are going to either they if they grow more. Or, you know, there's just not enough space. And so these apartments, everything is just being designed in a way that's not really efficient. And it's not, uh, you know, it's not, it's not, well, they're being designed in a way that's not uh, considering the family and the reality of what the families are. So as a result, most families leave. And most families are the ones that are paying the rent. So you have a situation where you have a lot of families that want to live in Foster City. They want to live there. But they can't because of space constraints. And if they do live in there, they're paying $3,500 for a 900-square-foot apartment. In fact, I just saw next door, somebody actually posted one for 3600 a two-bedroom. And people responded. And they actually said, wait a minute, that's pretty absurd. And they said, well, hey, that's the market. And so you have a question is, you know, then it becomes another debate all about that. So I just thought that was interesting. But... My issue is this, that these apartments, these uh, townhouses, these, these new setups are not designed for real families. They are not designed for families that, that are going to be able to be sustainable and live there for a long time. These are people that are here uh, for a year or so and they end up having to move because the space constraints, 900 square foot for a two-bedroom apartment is not going to cut it. So... If, you're, if these planning commissions want to actually help families and they actually want to care about the people in the community, they need to start making more three-bedroom ones, right? They need to start making more ones that are going to have the ability because the families are the ones that are going to stay. But if there's no place for them to move, you know, then they're going to leave. 
Andre, you bring up a good point. With As a real estate broker for 38 years, one of the major problems, I don't think it's so much the planning commission, but they do have influence. The problem seems to be profit. Um, obviously, there's not enough profit in making three-bedroom, two-bath orientated for family. I'm, I'm supportive of what you're saying. I think the major thing is somehow... Whether we, whether whether it's uh, something from the state or federal government or something, but you're right; these people are cramming. Um, in my experience, in the 20 plus years that I've lived in Foster City and walked the streets and knocked on the apartment doors, there's been two and three families living in a two bedroom, two bath apartment, and and they're here, like Andre says, for the good education, for the jobs, and the great community. It is. But in the same thing, we're not we're we're not protecting the people because as we cram more people in, the environmental impact studies that we use are really obsolete. So we're in Andre, we, as you can see up and down the peninsula, we're approving project in San Carlos, Redwood City, all over the place. And Andre, why do you think they're approving these things? Well, I think that the 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 demand and the voice of the people. There's such a urgent reaction to to the short the the housing shortage is that people are demanding housing i mean the, all the politicians say the same thing when you talk to gavin newsom when you when you hear uh, when you hear gavin newsom when you when you hear kevin mullen everybody there is a demand for housing because of the uh, there's not enough housing so there's no other option but to build and my suggestion is look okay i i get that i get that there's a demand i get that there's a shortage let's plan for families so they can live here instead of building one bedroom or two bedroom uh, apartments that people can't live there and, and they're not sustainable yes you can live there if you want to squeeze into a 900 square foot apartment i did that for 10 years i did it i understand i i know how it feels and eventually you recognize that gosh you know i'm living in a box and i think most people who are living in these apartments you know, in Foster City, because these were all built in the 70s, right? The 70s and 80s. So a lot of them are, are set up like that. And most people recognize that that's just not sustainable for a long term. If you have one child, yeah, okay, that actually might work. But if you start having two or three children, eventually you're going to recognize that point. So I think the reason why they're building homes, yeah, it makes sense. I, 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 I get that because I think that there's a definitely urgent need. And there's such a demand that Kevin Mullen did talk about that, uh, about the job growth and there needs to be housing. So I think everybody can agree that there's a need. I think it's just how they're doing it and how they're planning for it. Are they looking to make profit and to squeeze the extra four uh, apartments in there that they can charge $3,500 for? Or are they going to make, you know, one or two, you know, places that actually they're going to have a long-term people that they can live and grow the community. Because I think it's about community. And I think that's what this housing crisis that nobody talks about. Nobody talks about the loss of community, about all the families that have had to move, about all the people that are affected because they're forced out. And so that's the real issue of the housing. There's, there's, there is no reason... There is no reason that somebody has to raise the rent $800, $1,000 to meet the market. There's no reason. If you're paying a certain amount, then you know just because the rent goes up to a certain amount, you don't automatically have to do that. That's your discretion. Sure, it makes sense because you're doing a business. But let me ask you one question. When the market goes down, do you ever see that, that rate go all the way back down? And I'm going to tell you what, never once. So that idea that it's market, well, when the market goes down, it should actually go down. And how many people, how many listeners out there have actually had to rent drop because, oh, the market went down? Well, I did. I, I Well, no, I have to interject because I've been in, in the business for a long time. The rents have gone down. So um, I think supply and demand, and, and I think, Andre, you bring up a really good point. Um, and with the planning issue, um, and let's kind of go back with the housing. I don't. I think you're right that they maybe need to uh, build more family use housing, um, and it, it seems to be gained on a profit. As you know, uh, most of the cities have anywhere from 15 to 20 percent affordable housing, which could be below market rent or first-time home buyers thing. Um, they even experienced, when we had the 2008, Andre, that some of the housing that was built for affordable housing in San Mateo, I, I, and maybe some of it in Foster City too, that actually went to foreclosure, 
okay? And they actually got out of the first-time stock because the way the affordable housing program worked was is that you got in with a small amount of money. You got a townhouse, maybe a two-bedroom, two-bath, maybe a one-bedroom, one-bath. You got in with 3 to 5% down. You got a first and a second. You stay there for five years. If you stay there for five years, you don't have to share in the equity. If you move ahead of time, you share the equity. But what happened in 2008, some of that housing stock for affordable housing is gone because it was foreclosed on. I knew somebody in particular that had a property in San Mateo that was foreclosed on, went on the open market. The person turned it and flipped it. So I think part of the thing that you're bringing up is the most crucial thing, and that's planning. Um, and it, it's hard it, It's hard with um, the developer. The developer wants to make a profit, and they figure that 15 to 20% is the squeeze, but they're not thinking about the community. So you're right, Andre. I think we need to, we need to think much better in our planning situation. Uh, and I will say, only coming from an, a, a smaller perspective, I do a little bit of property management. I have some people that aren't. And those people should get the big plus in the community, um, but there's not enough of them. So um, I think you bring up some very valid points, Andre, and I think we need better planning. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think this is all great discussion. So if you guys have feedback, you guys have ideas, and please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You could always uh, reach out to us directly. And, um, yeah, check out our website, podcastbythebay.com. And um, uh, you can go to uh, – you know, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast by the bay. So we're going to play a clip of, uh, from the planning meetings, a very small clip of, uh, just some of the, 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 the citizens that were there and, 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 uh, what Patrick was able to actually speak with. And, uh, we'll be right back and we're going to finish today's show talking about the school board issue and really about the excitement and a lot of the things that are happening, um, with the foster city school closure, the preschool closure and also the um, the Charter Square. So we'll be right back, and we'll we'll get on that one. What do you think is going to happen tonight? Well, I hope everything goes favorable. Yeah. That's, that's, that's right. Yes. Okay. okay. Now we don't have an environmental impact report, do we? As current a current environmental impact report on this? It's not required. It's not going to be required. I know we're changing the usage here. As you know, the usage was going to be commercial and retail. Um, have you been reaching out to the business owners? Yes, we have. Okay. And how's that going? Uh, I will disclose that later. Okay. Thank you. Though. All right. Well, I appreciate, appreciate the podcast. It. And you are, sir? We're going to. Uh, Bill Willis. Bill Willis, are you one of the owners there? Yes. Okay, Bill. Thanks, right, Bill. Thank we appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Podcast by the Bay. We just, just, just before we're starting the planning commission, we're live here. We also had a comment from a 50-year resident in Foster City in the peninsula, and he wanted me to read that into the record, and that's Ron. He's lived in Foster City for over 50 years. He's 70 years old. There seems to be some general architectural misunderstanding of the actual Foster City Peninsula open space use. Um, I'd recommend that these architects spend several days um, from March through July for an hour or so at 4.30 in a proposed park area to see how much it might modify their open space design. Ron Harp, 291, um, 291, living in Foster City, making a comment about the architectural design. So. I'm going to sign off for tonight, right now, because they're still talking a little bit about it. It doesn't seem like it's going to go very far right now. The uh, Naomi is the chair of the planning commission. Uh, she was like the presentation, still had some concerns. So, signing off from Podcast by the Bay here in Foster City. All right, thanks to Patrick for getting that exclusive clip from Bill Willis, who represents Saris Regis and Ron. We're going to pause for a brief station identification. If you're liking what you're hearing, if you want to get involved, if you want to participate part of the process, send us an email, podcastbythebay at gmail.com. If you have insights, if you have some people that we should be talking to, let us know, podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcastbythebay and also at our website, podcastbythebay.com. Okay, welcome back. So today... We're going to finish today's show talking about the school board uh, meeting and really the issue with the Charter Square development project with the New Elementary School and then also really the closure of the Foster City Preschool in the Charter Square Shopping Center. So, Patrick, you were at the meeting, and uh, I guess what is your summary and the feedback from the meeting? 
Well, you know, to begin with, when I entered in the room, uh, there was there was not even a seat available. I mean, that place was packed. Uh, they had a full board of trustees up there uh and and they had protest signs and people all upset all also i go wow this is exciting i i just thought i was there to make sure to see if they were going to pass the environmental impact report as you recall nancy was still there she was um, um on the board she's not president anymore and she's resigned uh for family purposes but it was an exciting meeting. Um, I, I, it was probably just as crowded as that one city council meeting that I've seen in the past. And there was people protest signs. And I, I was excited when I got in there. And little did I know that the major protest to begin with uh, was the closure of the, the Foster City Preschool. And apparently at the end of this month, Andre, all of these parents some and students have to find preschool for their kids. So you had parents, you had students, you had past students all pleading to the, um, the Board of Trustees, what are we going to do? We felt we kind of got left out. We had Melatina, who was picture was right on the Daily Journal, and I interviewed Melatina. I know we're going to have a clip from Melatina speaking about what was going on, but they felt upset, upset. They probably had probably, I would say, 10 speakers, maybe a little bit more, all passionate about it. And so we understand the dynamics of the school board. We mo- we mainly have new people on there. Audrey Ning and Nancy were probably the two longest sustaining members on that board of trustees. And it w- you you could just see the fever and the anger and the passion in in the in the citizens. And uh, what had basically happened was is that they they basically listened to the people. They were very good listeners, but they didn't give any responses back. They said, we'd get back with them. So this is a story we need to follow. Where are those students going to find places? Where are those teachers going to find places? I know that there's chatter on next door and there's chatter. People were together. People were working together to try to find other resources. But they were upset that the school district had some, somewhat made them a promise that you'd be there until it was developed. So that was the initial uh, initial excitement that I wasn't prepared for, but I, it was exciting to do and exciting to follow. Well, just to interject, as somebody who's had children in the Foster City uh, schools and somebody who's been in the preschool system, this is very upsetting. I mean, extremely upsetting as a parent. Anybody who has young kids and knows how difficult, number one, it is to even find a preschool. It's not easy. You have to go and interview. You have to go through this whole process and hope you get selected. And then all of a sudden you get in there and you're paying $1,300 a month to $1,500 depending on where you're at. It's a lot of money. And, and you know you have to register like six to eight months in advance. And, there, and and hopefully, and I've seen some, some chatter on Nextdoor, but hopefully there's alternatives where they're accepting because and they're going to be willing to accept some of these students and families because it's not an easy process to actually find a preschool, number one. And so this is extremely upsetting. And in, for in the middle of the school year to just stop like that and to give that short a notice for parents to go find another preschool, it's just unacceptable. I mean, it's just really unacceptable. And I, I'm, I, that's just me as a parent. I mean, you, you know, if you want to do this, okay, at the end of the school year, that's your time. Finish the school year out. If, you, if, if, if you're going to make a change like this, you don't just stop it in the middle of the year. That's just unacceptable. And like Malatina says, what's going to happen to the teachers that have been working there? What's going to happen to the, you know, the students, the, you know, everybody involved? And, you know, it's just unacceptable. So that's just my opinion on the, on the issue. But somebody who's been in the schools and someone who's, who's, who's experienced that and understands the difficulty of finding a daycare of, of a preschool and the amount of money you're paying for this preschool. I mean, this is a financial, extreme financial burden on some parents and families. I mean, that's why parents are working two jobs, because they were trying to get their kids in preschool, because preschool is one of the most important childhood uh, developments for education. It's actually the most important. There's all kinds of studies before five, right? 
Andre, as an educator and a teacher in the Sequoia School District for approximately eight years, I understand your passion and, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, the, the daycare is a major, major, major issue, especially the preschool and the education of kids while they're younger. We hope that you out there as listeners of Podcast by the Bay, give us your feedback. Your feedback's important, right, Andre? Yes, please send us an email, podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And uh, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. And also, just I guess the point of the, the, the meeting, the school board meeting, was actually to talk about the Charter Square. You, you want me to go? Why don't I go into the Charter Square and the reason why I was there? Um, as you know, they, they, they didn't have the vote on the last meeting to pass the environmental impact report. But let's give a little bit of a history to the, the listeners so that we can kind of digest it. Um, currently, the Chang family still owns the property at Charter Square. They're the legal owners of the property. The school district passed a bond. They want they want to approve a school. Um, as a real estate broker, I understand the rules and regulations in a city. You, if you own a property and you want to develop it, you need to go to the city. You got to get the environmental impact reports. You got to go to the planning commission. You may have to go to the city council. Well. A way that this project has developed, still in the owner's name, he wants to develop it for the school district. In other words, the owner is going to develop the property and then hand it over to the school district. Well, currently, they're treating this project, um, the Charter Square School, as a project that only, as it is a school, under falling under state and federal law, yet it's still in the ownership of the original owner. So I'm a little, that's a little gray area. I'm not an attorney. I don't know the expertise. I have talked to people on planning commissions and attorneys and stuff like that. I don't think it's a legal battle that the city of Foster City wants to get in or the city of San Mateo. But what they did, one of our council people and former mayor brought a lawsuit um, against the district and actually kind of compromised the district uh, through his local attorney. And they compromised it by saying we would look at, uh, our planning commission would look at the, make some environmental suggestions to the school district so we can move the project forward. Now, we might note, and I'm just going to ad lib, that even once the school, if it is completed, will be obsolete in the respect it will still not have enough classroom space for the students we need. So even though it's an ideal location, and why did this location get picked? Andre, you and I talked about earlier, this got picked because everybody in the city wants no more housing. The developer, or not the, de- the developer slash owner of Charter Scare was basically letting tenants go. And he wanted to develop the site, but there was no, there was no burning desire to build any housing any any more housing in Foster City. So that was not... So for the owner, uh, the Chang family, they had an opportunity to sell it to the school district. So I'm not sure the, the, the legalities. I'm not sure whether... W- whether whether they should be under the auspice of the city of Foster City or the state and federal government because the property hasn't changed hands yet. Okay. Now, the other issues that came up uh, basically was is that they wanted to pass... Now, they did have the attorney representing the school district who spoke, um, and the proposal before the, um, be, before the Board of Trustees was real kind of simple. He says it was a memorandum, there were still negotiations. And I might note that our, 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 uh, our uh, people from our city council and our assistant city manager were both there uh, representing the city, listening. And after a long, long meeting, they, they, they passed. They, they had the opinions of the, the different trustees. And everybody wanted us to move forward. Everybody wants to build a school. Even if the school is, is, is going to be obsolete after it's built. And when I mean obsolete, it's going to be short classrooms. I'm not saying it's not going to be a good school. So after pushing and turning, they did finally pass the environmental impact report. Um, and... Uh, I pretty much didn't stay any longer than that because I was there for the environmental impact in the preschool. Okay. Well, it sounds like they're moving along with that project. And so I think that the public should be engaged. They should be aware of what's happening. And that's what we're here for. We're here to actually bring forth 
what's happening, come up with solutions, and really come up with a discussion. So appreciate the good discussion we've had today, Patrick. I think there's a lot of issues happening, um, all with the city council, uh, the, the levy project, um, the Saris Regis uh, planning meeting, and also the school board. I think there's three things. So we're going to play a couple clips here with uh, Stephen Davis, who is uh, part of the behavioral health uh, program um, that he's working on. So we're going to play his clip and also Malatina, who actually uh, had a, um, we uh, Patrick was able to interview with him. Yeah. Andre, let me interject. Steve Davis is a passionate father with a three-year-old. And his three-year-old uh, uh, is struggling with autism. And he was fighting for, he's fighting for uh, accountability with a program that shows that there's progress. And um, I, as somebody that worked with autistic kids for a period of time, I was excited to talk to Steve and I have that interview. So I hope you listen to that. There are other, a lot of other kids with special needs. Andre and I are passionate for all kids. We are, and we're happy to uh, be working together and, and really talking about these issues because I think there's a lot of issues at hand, and we want the public to be involved, and that's what we're here for. This is our platform to really uh, engage and, and, and discuss some of these ideas. And so we have some different ideas coming up. Uh, there's going to be some more exciting shows. So um, I think right with that, we're going to get to the interview with Stephen Davis and Malatina and With that, have a great week, and we will see you next time on Podcast by the Bay. So with that, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of Podcast by the Bay. We'll see you next time. Okay, Tina, Tina, you've been quite a spokesperson for this uh, group of uh, daycare, preschool, and foster city. You did announce, Tina, I'm Patrick with Podcast by the Bay, Real News from the Bay Area. Can you give us a few comments about what you, how you feel the school district is treating you or not treating you properly? Yes, I, um, me on behalf of the teacher, we feel that um, they mistreated us. Um, they, um, they think that our children doesn't matter, but our children matter to us. And not only that, we were, um, the promise that they gave us, they broke the promise. We were misled. They said that we, um, together with the, alongside... Come on over here, Tina, on that too. So we, we, we don't have a disturbance. Okay, we went over to Corner. Tina has been outspoken here representing some parents and the school for the preschool in uh, Foster City. As you know, that they're trying to close it by the end of the month. So, Tina, what were some of the, your, um, some of your major issues here? Um, I may, um, we are disappointed because we, um, we believe we believe in what they say. They said, do not worry. Uh, Dr. Audrey and Dr. Rosa, they said, we do not worry. We're going to be partner in educating uh, future generation. But then uh, now we are displaced as teachers. We have no job. The children, 150 children and 300 parents are left without child care. And not only that, us also teachers, we have no job too. We love our children, but... Um, the promise they gave us, uh, and I want them to to be honest, say what they mean to say, and do what they um, they said. But uh, what they, Dr. Rosa came and visited, and um, she said that she didn't promise us. She did. She came to our school two or three times, visiting together with Tish and um, Neil Neil Gettys, the um, the guy who do the building or whatever you call architect. And uh, with a camera together with Dr. Rosa and talking about how our bathroom will be set up. And Dr. Rosa promised that they, the school district will help us relocate and come back. But now, so they you're forgot. basically given like a 30-day notice and uh, without another location to go in Foster City. Is that right, Tina? Yes. Yes. Okay. I think they said a um, service to the yes. in Foster City to the teachers and to the parents. What do you think would be a remedy that the school district would come up? Obviously, they were not willing to talk about any remedy right now. Uh, so far, we've been uh, inquiring about it. We've been uh, sending email, but uh, Dr. Rosa and them, they have uh, no explanation. We haven't received any explanation until tonight. We saw this letter that they put out to the parents about our school and everything. Do you have any comment about the development of an elementary school in that charter square? Do you think that that's a good location? Oh.
uh, come again. Do you th- what do you think about the development of that charter squared into another elementary school? It's my understanding by the time it's completed, it still will be obsolete and we'll still need more classroom space. Is that right, Tina? Yes, you are right. And Tina, you know, it's a little bit interesting right now, and I don't know if a lot of the public realize that the chartered square is still owned by the owner. The school district has not bought it yet, and that the developer is going to develop the shopping center until he develops it. So my question to the public is, why is the... Uh, the developer, which is the current owner of Charter Square, not having to deal with the environmental impact reports. Now, it's my understanding if the school district had legally, technically owned the property, they are exempt from the, from the uh, local city, but they are obligated under the state and federal law. So have you heard anything about that at all, Tina? No, no, okay. no. Well, Tina, we want to say on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, this is Patrick, that we greatly appreciate your participation in the process, and let me see if I can see if I can get anybody else that may want to speak. Fact, we, um, we would like Foster City Preschool. We would like this to be like us to be part of the environmental impact report. Our concerns are to have included in the environmental impact report the displacement of 150 children, 300 parents left without childcare, and more than 22 children, I mean, 22 Gina, what is teachers, your position with the teachers without preschool? I'm one of the oldest teachers over there, senior well, teacher. Congratulations. How long has years. Foster City Preschool been there? We're almost 45 years in next month. Wow. Well, well, again, I thank you very much for all the parents. How many parents do you think we have out here with their children here? We have about 150, 200 people out here. Like 200 or 200. 200. Well, I mean, well, we'll keep up the fight. And again, we appreciate that. We're podcast with the Bay. I am Patrick. I live in Foster City. I'm also a teacher, too. So I feel your passion. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, great insight from Malatina, who represents the Foster City Preschool, speaking at the San Mateo Foster City School Board meeting. And finally, Patrick's going to speak with Stephen Davis about special needs. Here you go. Hi, this is Patrick with Podcast by the Bay. We're at the San Mateo Foster City Elementary School District office. We've had a gentleman. Your, your name is, sir? Is? Stephen Davis. Stephen Davis is also a, uh, concerned about the special needs um, improvements that need for the San Mateo Foster City Elementary School District. He did a, a very good presentation, Stephen. Uh, Stephen, I'm wondering if you can enlighten the people in San Mateo and Foster City about some of the drawbacks that we see. I am also a special needs teacher. I received my master's degree in the cost effectiveness of mainstreaming autistic kids in San Mateo and Foster City in 2010 from Notre Dame here in Belmont. So why don't you give us your background, tell us what you're fighting for, and I think you got a good cause. Well, thank you. Um, It's nice to meet another person involved in special needs. Um, I've only been aware of the world of special needs, I've got to say, with some shame since uh, last September when my son was diagnosed with autism. Uh, And uh, it is a kind of a nightmare you kind of step into, first personally and then uh, into the the multiple bureaucratic maws of the uh, state Uh, your health insurance, and the school system. And everybody wants to help you, but uh, the realistic answer is it's kind of like going to the DMV. you got to ask, and you got to ask. How old is your son? Uh, He just turned four. uh, So he he were in special ed preschool at Parkside. Well, congratulations for early diagnosis, because as you know, the experts are saying by the age of three is really the most determining way to help your son. So good luck to you on that. So go ahead and tell us what you think that the school district can do for you or what we need to do to improve it. Well, the thing that was such a surprise to me when I was how big special education is. I mean, I think most people, you know, if they think about special at all, at all, they think there's, you know, that little short bus and a couple of kids. But it isn't just a couple of kids. Uh, You know this. I was surprised that in San Mateo Foster City, it's uh, over 8% of our kids uh, are in the special needs program. We have 12,000 kids in the school district. There are over 1,000 special needs kids. What's scary is that San Mateo Foster City School District actually has a very low percentage for the state of California. The state of California, it's over 11%. 
So if we were actually identifying at the California state level, there would be hundreds more special needs kids here. Well, in my study, which I did a study for 10 years on the San Mateo Santa Clara Elementary or High School District, we had a 275% increase of early diagnosis of autism. So it's a quite a bit. Now, I'm not saying that that percentage was necessarily, not necessarily, some of it might have been misdiagnosed. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's a hard problem, but, you know, the real answer is anyone who's getting referred into the system has some level of, of problems. Um, people tell me, you know, oh, I got a clear autism diagnosis. You got a gold ticket. I've got to say, as a parent who has to deal with all this, it doesn't feel like a gold ticket. But after hearing stories from other parents, I understand what they mean, which is we came in, we could get the services from the school, we could get the services from the state, and I talked to way too many parents who, for whatever reason, you know, whatever line the state draws, the school draws, there are going to be people on the wrong side of it. Uh, and, and, you know, but we need to worry about those kids. Maybe we need to move that line. But uh, so what we're ask, asked here tonight was not about actually asking for more money. It was simply to integrate special needs into the, the management uh, plan and oversight for the district. Um, basically, until today and as of today, special need live off, lives off in its own world. Uh, they reported last year once a year, and they report, reported two things, bodies and bucks, well, and transportation. So nothing about performance. And what's tragic is our performance num numbers for special needs kids were only 12% were making, making the grade in English and 13% in math across the whole district. And by the way, two-thirds of those kids aren't in some special ed class. As you know, they're integrated in the mainstream. So if you have a, if your kid is in general ed in San Mateo Foster City School District, there's at least probably one special ed kid in your in your classroom. Are they working well on a one-to-one -one aid for some of the students, and especially in your son's situation? Does your son have an aid? Uh, he, he's in special day school, so he's uh, he doesn't have an individual aid. He's in a in the dedicated program, which is I think what most people think of about special ed. It's it's the kids in a separate classroom, but. Our numbers being 12% and 13% are, are kind of scary. And if you're a, a parent like me, you just go, wow, I just I hit, hit, hit the numbers wrong. But the, the number that, that amazed me that I, when I found out about it in December is that there are five school districts that their special ed kids are doing four and five times better as a population. And uh, was it 24 school dis districts that are doing twice as well as San Mateo Foster City where, School where District. Where are we missing it here? I mean, you, you obviously brought some statistics <clears throat> that were quite earth-shattering to find out how low on the totem pole we were with uh, special need kids. Where have we lost out? Where, where, is it the funding? Is it the teachers? What, what's happening? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I you know, as I said, I've been doing this just a little more than a year as a parent and kind of some September as, a, you know, more of an activist. Um, I don't know, and and uh, I don't know if it's budget. Uh, of course, what's interesting is the schools that are doing best are the ones that have, you know, you associate with bigger budgets. If you're here in San Mateo, Foster City, that 12%, 13%. Hillsboro, it's 50% of their kids are doing at or above grade level. Well, but I, I, I kind of hope it's money because money is kind of a straightforward thing to work on, right? We can say, hey, let's get fair funding for our special needs kids and let's bring their number up because that performance is possible here. I hope it's money because that means it's sort of straightforward to work on. Well, I think you need to not give up the fight. Now, you did present something here tonight that you were encouraging to meet with some of the parents and also the school officials and you were making a proposal that we have I thought it was more like a nice report card of improvement. Can you talk up a little bit about what you were presenting to the board tonight? Uh, so there are a couple things I presented to the board tonight. Uh, the first was the integration of, of special needs kids into the basically the management of the, the, the district. The second thing was uh, if you're a parent, you know, you can go to a website of your school and the schools have a report card for the, the school as a school. And what I asked 
in terms of a report card was that we have a consolidated report card for all the special needs kids. Because these thousand kids are scattered over the 20 schools in the San Mateo Foster City School District, so you, you have like 20 kids and 50 kids and, and sometimes lower and sometimes higher at the schools. And so for privacy reasons, they wind up not reporting much. And for other reasons, I think habit, they don't report much. But by having a single consolidated report card, we can see where we're at, we can see where the shortfalls are, and we can at least see our performance, just like you can in general ed. You know, you can go to to Beresford or, or Lead or any or Foster mm. City, and you can see your school's report card, and you get to ask questions. Today, I don't have that for this my special needs son. No one has that who's a special needs parent or teacher, and this just would simply administratively bring that together so we can see what's going on. Well, I hope when we get this this podcast out live, and it's going to probably take me a week to get my production manager to, to do it, yep. I'm hoping that, do you have an email address that you want to uh, give out about so, your special needs? Sure. We, so we have a website. Okay. Uh, it's snkids.org, so specialneedskids.org. Uh, and you, uh, I have an email address, steve at snkids.org, S-T-E-V-E, uh, at snkids.org. Uh, but we're putting out more and more news as to what's going on with special needs, uh, policy and, and budget uh, here and elsewhere. Because, um, you know, there's a big hole in terms of advocacy for the whole special needs community. Um, you know, it's like I'm in one of the bigger groups, autism, but we tend to act like we're the autistic kids or families and the, the, the spinal bifida kids or families mm-hmm. and the, the Down syndrome kids or families. But we aren't. We're, jo- we're joined together by the services we need and we get uh, uh, and deserve and can make a big difference from the school, the state, and Well, uh, I'm insurance. impressed that you're trying to make that happen. I remember when I did my report with the state, on this, on the San Mateo and Santa Clara County, that the special needs money goes on to one pool, so they don't even break it out on whether we put it for autism or blindness or spinal deficit. So we we need a little bit more accountability, and I think we can't cast these people aside. The other exciting thing that I was interested in trade is. What do we do after high school? There's a lot of autistic kids that should somehow be careered into going into some kind of program, some kind of trade school or something. Do you have any opinion on that, on what can be done in the junior college level that we could could somehow... We don't want to lose those kids. Once they're 18, we lose them. Well, actually, and this is why we're here, of course, at the elementary school district, is this this is where we set the direction for these kids. I mean, if we move... Think about it. If we move this number from 10% to 50% of these kids, that means a lot of those kids who are performing at or above grade level, whether they're autistic or any of the other diagnoses, that means probably on the other side of high school, they're not in a halfway house, they're not getting disability, they're haven't been parents, haven't haven't getting jobs and having kids and paying taxes. So by making a big difference now we make a huge difference in the future uh, so it's if if you ignore the moral issue which is disturbing to even talk about of that we can make is possible to make a big difference for these kids just looking at the numbers it probably is a multi-million dollar impact for each kid who doesn't meet those numbers coming out of school so $100,000 here, $200,000 here is a 4, 5, 10% 10-factor 10 return on investment. Steve, don't give up the fight. We really greatly appreciate it. I'm glad I had the opportunity to meet you sure. and to hear what you're what you're talking about and let's keep fighting for the special needs kids. Oh, absolutely. One more thing before we go. Um, we are putting together a summit to uh, explain the special needs programs kind of diagnosis uh to adulthood uh, on February 15th. It's going to be at the Congregational Church of San Mateo. Uh, we don't have advertising up left uh, yet, but please uh, go to snkids.org, and I'll give you the details when we have those details. So thank you. Thanks again, Steve. I appreciate it. Patrick with Podcast by the Bay.
Thank you for listening to another Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com slash podcast by the bay. And in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. Liberty Realty. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Podcast by the Bay, please contact us directly at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.